We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is our Father's word that we read today. He gives it to us as a love letter to him. This passage from Ephesians reminds us about what the church is all about and what marriage is and how both focus on Christ, the head. We read from Ephesians 5, beginning with verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. May God bless the reading of his word. a new year and it's a fresh start. Aren't you glad for a chance to start over? (laughs) I know I am. I I love the fact that there's a something of a a new start. A new it's you know the beginning of a school year kind of feels that way a little bit too. You know you haven't made an F on any test or quiz yet. You know, and you, you had, didn't forget your homework yet at all. And, you know, beginning of a new school year kind of has that feeling to it. And all the potential of what I might do if I stayed on task, <laughs> all of those things kind of loom large up there before us in this beginning of the new year. It's kind of, uh, if you've got little kids and you've watched the Disney stuff, it's like looking into the unknown. It's, uh, sorry. Um, it's, it's that sense of, we don't know what's coming out there, but there's a sense of potential that whatever it is, we might do okay this year. <laughs> a new year brings with it that sense of, I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm going to start over. I'm going to get it right this time. <laughs> and I hope you have that sense of eagerness. This particular year is, uh, 2020, of course, and, um, that's the numerical value we've put on the year. And so it's this sense of, and you'll repeatedly hear this in just about everything, you want to have a 2020 vision, right? You go to the eye doctor and what you hope to have is 2020 vision. Well, it's been since I was in the fourth grade since I had 2020 vision without the aid of glasses. So I can't remember what it's like to have 20-20 vision unless corrected by uh, some device. And maybe you're like that too. We have the potential of skewing or blurring our vision of life and our future and everything about it. But if we get it corrected, uh, we can have a 20-20. How would you get it corrected? By the principles of God's word. You would correct a 
you know, a depravity, a sin nature, a proclivity to see things wrongly by getting saved and then letting the Word of God orient you, clear up your vision, make it perfectly clear rather than fuzzy, that this is the truth, this is what's good, this is what's evil, this is what's just, this is what's unjust, this is what's right, this is what's wrong. The vision can be clear when we look into God's Word and get His plan. Now, His plan for the church is very clearly articulated in the passage that we just read in Ephesians, particularly coming to that very last verse. Here's how we can sharpen our vision for what the church ought to be. Here, Christ says that he wants his ultimate goal for the church is to present the church, this church, could we even boldly say, this church, to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blame. There you go. What's your vision for the church? That's Christ's vision for his church, us. That he would present us in all of the splendor of having had our sins washed away, cleaned up from the vileness of our sin, and that we would be like a you know, like the purity of a bride walking down the church aisle in that white dress symbolizing her, her purity, her faithfulness and dedication. Here's the bride of Christ in all of our radiance and splendor, knowing none of us have radiance and splendor of our character in ourselves, but we're made to be righteous in Christ. And we want to match that as best we can in the power of the Holy Spirit, week by week, day by day, that's what the church heads toward. That's our, if you want to call it our 2020 vision, that's it. It's articulated for us right here in this passage. Let's think about the five key concepts in this chapter about the church. It starts there in verse, uh, well, we started reading in 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as, here's the key phrase about the church, Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. So Christ is the head and Savior of the church. This comes in the context of wives and husbands. You see there that, the analogy is being made. Here's what Christ is to his church. And oh, by the way, that's a perfect example of husband-wife relationship. So we could start out saying if our vision for this year is going to be as clear as it ought to be, it starts at home, husbands and wives, the right relationship, and then that passes down and the children see it and then model it in their lives. And generation after generation, there's a key there. I was just reading in um, a magazine recently about John and Charlotte Henderson. Uh, it says here that they are the oldest married couple living on planet Earth, according to the Guinness World Records. He, 106, she, 105, and celebrated their 80th anniversary on December 15th. 80? Years married, 105, 106. And of course, any time these kind of articles show up in the newspaper, the uh, editor, the writer always asks, 
What's your secret for a strong marriage that has lasted 80 years together and all of this? And here's what he said. The secret to a strong marriage is a moderate lifestyle and being cordial to your spouse. Okay, there's his wisdom. Be cordial to your spouse. Sounds a whole lot like wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And it goes on to say, and husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. So being cordial to your wife sounds like a biblical kind of principle, doesn't it? But the context of that instruction about the home and the nucleus of the family and relationship comes from the example he gives us and the instruction he gives us. And here's the key concept in the passage that Christ is in charge. He's the head of the church by virtue of the fact that he is the savior of the church. And he's the one and only savior of the world calling us out to be this called out group of people, this ecclesia, this called out group because he is our recognized savior and head. Let's just say it, master. We sometimes don't like to use that term because it has a bad connotation from back in slavery days when a slave had a master and we so abhor that appropriately so, that we hardly want to use the word master, but the word master is a very appropriate word for us to use about Christ. He is our master. It's insufficient, really, to say he's our boss. It's insufficient, maybe, to even say that he's in charge, because that's, that seems to indicate that he's in charge by virtue of a democratic vote. He isn't that. He's in charge by virtue of who he is, master and Lord and Savior. And we submit to him in this role. That's what this verse says in verse 24, right? Reading there, it says, Christ is the head of the church, his body, and he himself is its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So the, the primary example is that the church submits as submitting to a master to the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has articulated in the word about what is important, what's right, what's wrong, what our priorities ought to be, that we take up our cross daily and follow him as our master. We submit. And here's the wonderful thing about that. We do so because Christ loves his church so much that he sacrificed himself for us. It isn't like we serve a task master who stands above us, lording over us all of this authority. We're serving the one who sacrificially gave himself for us so much so, he gave himself for us on a torture instrument we call a cross at Calvary. At, we've just been singing about it, reminding ourselves of the fact that we love him because he first loved us and demonstrated it in the most complete way it could possibly be demonstrated. He loves us sacrificially, consequently we submit to him. Christ does this for us. He washes us clean through his word. Verse 26 goes on to say to us that he might sanctify her. In other words, the church, he wants to set the church apart. That's the very meaning of the word church. Ek, 
Lacia, the Lacia being act, being outed, being set apart. And that's what this does. He wants to sanctify, set her apart, is the meaning of the term. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So he makes us clean in forgiveness, washing us away in essence by his blood that he spilled for us sacrificially at at Calvary. And having positionally made us right, now it is the ministry of the word of God empowered by the Holy Spirit to keep us on track, to be the light to our path, to light our path and in the midst of the darkness of this world show us how we ought to live our lives. And that is the ministry of the Word that washes us clean and daily puts us in the right path. And then he requires us to be, and this is the essence of where he went, this is the goal, verse 27, so that he might present the church, so that, in order that, here's his purpose all along. Why did he clean us up? Why does he wash us with the word? What's all this about? So that he could present us holy, blameless. If I get a spot on this suit today, and I'm likely to do so, that's just the way life goes, you know. If I get a spot on this suit, what will I do to it? I'll take it to the spot removers, won't I? I'll take it to the dry cleaner. And the dry cleaner people will work their magic. They will take the spot away. Somehow, miraculously, it'll, it'll all be forgiven that I spilled that coffee on the lapel of my suit. Somehow or other, they'll make it go away. All right? That's what Jesus does to the spots of our sinfulness in our character and in our action. And he washes it away. And it's not magical. It's spiritual. Jesus Christ, by virtue of his payment on the cross, can wash away our sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So his goal for us is that we'd be holy, pure, blameless, right, So that our 2020 vision would be, that's what we want to be. We are that way positionally when we get saved. We want to be that way practically, walking in the truth of his word, letting it wash and cleanse us every day. So, given that vision, given that sharp focus of our lives individually and as a church, let me just say that we at Calvary Baptist Church here in Sandusky, Ohio, We hold together a common purpose. We together as a church say it over and over and over. This is our purpose. And what is it? That we would be exalting Christ in all things. That's why there's a banner there. That's why we talk about it all the time. Because we want to clearly talk about and and own the fact that we want to exalt Christ in all things. I wrote this down in the back of my Bible in my own handwriting so I don't forget it, so that I'm often confronted with it, exalting Christ in all things. And and I wrote here Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
exalted. That's us. We're doing the exalting of Christ. We have the privilege of doing so because we've been redeemed. And so in, in the wording we've chosen to use, we've said what we want to do is exalt Christ in everything. And we've identified four specific ways that you do that. It starts by what? Say it out loud. Learning God's, learning God's Word. That's why it's so important that you read the whole Bible this year. Genesis to Revelation. Do you have a plan to do that? Let me help you with that. If you don't have a plan, pick up your phone, go to you version of the Bible or 15 other apps for your phone. It'll give you a scripture reading plan. Use one of them. Faith and I have, for years now, uh, let the Bible be read to us out loud. There, there, there's one way to do, accomplish it. There's 15 ways to accomplish it. That's one way. Let the Bible be read to you. While even Maybe even if you're, while you're doing other things, driving to work or other things. But read the Bible this year. That's what learning the Bible is all about. That's where it starts. I can't walk this path if God's Word isn't illuminating. God's Word will be a light to my path, right? It will illuminate, but not if I've turned the light off. If I haven't learned God's Word, that's why we have Sunday school. That's why you're going to Sunday school next hour. That's why you're sending your kid to the youth group. That's why we have Awana. That's why we have prime timers. We've programmed ourselves to do what? Learn God. The church is an educational institution. Have I said that before? The church is an educational institution. We are teaching the Bible. So, it's, it's part of our DNA that the first thing we're trying to do is learn God's Word. But we're not trying to merely be academic about it. Oh, I can tell you who the 12 apostles are. I know the 10. I can quote the Ten Commandments. Good. Got to start there. You got to know what the commandments are in order to follow the Ten Commandments. But it isn't good enough to just know it. You must then what? Yeah, live it. Do it. That's why living godly lives flows from learning God's Word. That's how you exalt Christ. By honoring Him, by honoring His Word, spending time in it, meditating on it day and night so that it transforms you. And when it does, here's a particular thing that will happen to you. You will love one another because by your love, you show that you are a part of the one who loved you, right? This will be the telltale sign that you love one another, that you love Christ, so loving God's people will naturally flow from living a godly life. The transformation that comes from reading God's Word and studying God's Word and coming regularly to the, the washing uh, of our minds in the principles of God's Word. And, and some people say, well, I can come Christmas and Easter and that's all I need to do to come learn God's Word. Well, I don't know many people who only eat a meal Christmas and Easter. I have a feeling most of us get a meal in between Christmas and Easter right? Yeah, and so like church, we just keep renewing uh, because it keeps depleting out of us just the way, you know, our, new, new, our physical nutrition does, so our spiritual nutrition. We need to keep 
on doing that so that living God's word leads to loving God's word, which naturally leads to us understanding I am an ambassador for Christ. I have the good news. I want to speak the good news. I want other people to be saved like I've been saved. So I want to lead other people to the foot of the cross, so to speak. This is how we exalt Christ in everything. And we've said this is our common purpose. We own it together. We hold a common purpose. And we hold that from a distinctive doctrinal perspective. We're not a Methodist church. We're not a Presbyterian church. We're not a brethren church. We're not a Catholic church. We're not whatever it is. We're not. We're not those things. We are who we are. We have a distinctive doctrinal perspective. We've even put it on paper. We have a distinctive doctrinal perspective about what we've read and learned in the Bible. I'm not saying that uh, we're the only people in the world that have anything right. But I am saying, as we've studied God's Word, we've come to conclusions and we've put them on paper so that people can know where we're coming from. For instance, we are an evangelical congregation. Now, it's hard sometimes to put a label on things because labels sometimes change, but they don't change every day. This has been a reliable label, evangelical church. We are a conservative church. We're not a liberal church. We don't come from a liberal theology background. We come from a conservative theology background. And I don't just mean the way we dress. I mean a theological perspective. Evangelical and conservative aptly describes us. We are Baptist, as I said. Uh, When you go to the grocery store and you want to get green beans and you go up and down the aisles and there's a bunch of cans there, aren't you glad that there's a label on those cans? Because you could, after all, be picking up peaches and thinking that you wanted green beans, but it's the label on the can that tells you the difference before you can get it home and open it up, right? That's what a label does for you. It gives people a window into who you are. We're happy to have the label Baptist for what it says. Are all Baptist churches the very exact same? No. And are all Baptist churches perfect? No. But neither are any other ones. We're happy with the label and happy what it does to identify so that people get a sense of our heritage, of where we come from. We believe in the literal interpretation of God's Word. And you can read this in our doctrinal statement. We take the Bible for what it says. We read it naturally and normally. We don't give allegory. For for instance, when it says that Jesus fed the 5,000 in the multitude, we don't take that as, oh, it was was a group of 20 or so and they had a nice meal together. No, we believe that it literally means what it says. Oh, it must have taken a miracle for it to be that. Well, I'm okay with it being a miracle. I'm okay with that. When uh, the walls of Jericho fell down... Well, I take that literally for what it says. Well, people would say, well, that would be, have to be regard supernatural intervention. Yes, yes, okay, I own that. That's, that's all good with me, okay? We, we believe in that, and we, people just ought to know it. We are dispensational in our hermeneutic, in the way we see. When it says Israel, it means Israel. When it says the church, it means the church. How easy is that? 
We believe that Jesus Christ is coming again, and it could be any moment. We are pro-life and unapologetically. Our, our doctrinal statement says that we are. We don't hide that. We're not ashamed of that. We believe that's what the Bible teaches. We believe in traditional marriage. I suppose that's the word you're, the terminology you're supposed to use these days because, after all, there wasn't such a, a debate to, 20 years ago, that apparently that is a debate today, and you ought to say it if that's what you believe. People ought to know those things about us. And it could go on and on and on with a whole list of things like that, but we have said on paper who and what we are, and we want to be clear about it. Those are clear rails to run on. We hold a common purpose. We, have, we come from a distinctive doctrinal perspective with a meaningful historical background. We've been a church together since 1931. We've had all of these years together, and we're glad for that. And as I look over the heritage and history of our church, the pastors who have been here and the leaders who have been in place, like we just uh, initiated new leaders for yet another new year coming along, we've had godly leadership over the years. I'm glad for that. Even if we had had some failure along the way, the fact is that characterizes virtually every group of Christians that get together, but I'm very thankful for the fact that there's been a consistency of godly leadership in this church family all of these years and a consistent hermeneutic, a consistent way that we've interpreted the Bible. We don't just put that up for a vote every year or, oh, what do you think? We're going to believe in the deity of Christ this year? What do you think about that? That's up for debate. Oh, no, it isn't. We have organizational cooperation. We're not the only church in the world. In fact, we've intentionally tied ourselves to other congregations of believers. Right here in our local area, it's called our Hebron Fellowship. There's about 35 or so churches from here, geographically, from here to Cleveland, that we fellowship with on a monthly basis as pastors and for youth group activities and for a variety of things, annual meetings and those kinds of things. I've served on the board. There's just been a variety of ways that we've cooperated together locally. We also do so on the state level. The Ohio Association of Regular Baptist Churches, there's about 140, 150 or so in the state of Ohio, very much like us. I've served on the Council of Twelve in that way, providing resourcefulness and helpfulness for the uh, for churches in our state. We also cooperate and fellowship together on a national and international level with the General Association of Regular Baptist Churches, 14 or, or so hundred churches across the nation like us. What I'm here to say is we're not the only church in the world. We're not even the only church in the world in our own fellowship. We're not even trying to say that. We're just trying to say that our distinctiveness is also owned by others and glad for the resourcefulness that it is one to another. We also have stylistic adaptability. We sing songs today differently than we did in 1931. That's part of the methodological and stylistic adaptability that every church has and every church needs to have. We have not changed our doctrinal statement since 1931, but we have changed our stylistic, methodological kinds of things as needed, and we will continue to do so. There's just a whole lot of, that could be said about any and all of those kind of things, but we have a historical background that I respect, that I'm glad for, that people, in other words, it's the concept that we stand on the shoulders of others who have gone before us and glad for it. We also affirm an ambitious covenant. In your uh, hymn book, by the way, 
I need to go down here and find me one of these. But there's a hymn book right in front of you. I want you to open it, if you would, to the very back. And on the very back cover, we have pasted what we call a membership covenant. This is our articulation, kind of like our doctrinal statement, but it's a short version that says this is what we're aiming at. We, we say it most succinctly in our vision statement, exalting Christ in all things by learning God's word and living godly lives and loving one another and leading others to Christ. But we say it in a little more detail in our membership covenant. And here we say, this is what we're aiming for. And when we come to the table tonight, we're going to read aloud again from this covenant. But I want you to just look at it. Uh, uh, make yourself aware of the fact that these are the things that we endeavor, we purpose, we strive, we intend, we pledge, we purpose. This is what, believing what we believe, this is what we're aiming at. And we've put it on paper. We want to be accountable to that goal. That's why it's there and that's the purpose it serves, to keep us grounded. Nike has a commercial, uh, a billboard, that um, whether it's in Times Square or other places around the world that they've prominently displayed it, it simply says this, yesterday you said tomorrow. It's a catchy phrase. Nike has that, um, that I guess you'd call it vision statement, just do it, Right? You're all familiar with that because they flooded the market with their logo and their theming for commercial purposes. But in, in one particular advertisement scheme, they've connected that Just Do It slogan to that slogan that says, Yesterday, you said tomorrow. Isn't it time that what you intend to do, you actually do? Really, it's quite clever. In fact, it's quite convicting, isn't it? <laughs> you intended to do something. Yesterday, you said, tomorrow I'm going to do this. That's what you said. Isn't tomorrow today? <laughs> Isn't it about time you got around to your intentions? Isn't it about time that, and, and let's bring that into Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27. Let's bring that there. This could be the day, this could be the year, your year, that your 2020 vision is sharpened clearly toward the top priority of letting the word of Christ renew your heart and mind and be holy and blameless without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. This could be the time that you quit saying tomorrow and start living today what you intend to be true of your life. I pray that that's true of us in this new year. What would be the steps to take toward that just do it mentality? Well, let me ask you, would you be willing to go for a 2020 vision checkup? I have a, of an appointment at the eye doctor this coming week. Why? Well, for one thing, I want to see clearly. It's practical, isn't it? You know, once a year, once every two years, or, or however your vision goes, <laughs> uh, uh, I go and have my vision checked. Now, I also have a disease 
that has to be checked. I have glaucoma and have had it since I was in my early 20s. So I have double reason to keep going to my vision checkups. I don't want to go blind if I can prevent it. If there's something I can do, I don't want my vision to get blurry and fuzzy and not be able to see. So I try to make those appointments and try to keep them. I'm willing to go because I want to keep my vision sharp. Most of us avoid going to the doctor because it's expensive, because it takes time, and because it's generally painful. Right? So we just don't want to go. So we postpone and we procrastinate and we put it off until our wife tells us we have to. Isn't that the way life goes for you? That's the way it happens at our house. We'd rather avoid a checkup because it's going to tell me, oh, look at your numbers. They're not very good. Your blood pressure's here. Your blood sugar's here. You know, you know, a good, a good cholesterol, bad cholesterol. You know. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. Right? Christians should say, tell me my numbers. I want to hear it. I want to know. Because if there's something that needs to be corrected, I want to correct it. Right? Where do you go for your checkup? This is a good place to go. Right here. Sometimes it's painful. Isn't it? Because it's, it can, you know, the Holy Spirit convicts me when I read it and I think, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But that's what you have to do. That's why some people don't come to church. Well, I don't like what he says. He's always, he's always telling me God's going to strike me dead, you know, or something. That's because there's guilt there, right? Well, but, but a, a thriving, maturing Christian would want to say, bring it on. If I'm wrong, I want to know. Now, you, you, your kids don't have that idea. You have to grow up to have that idea. Right? Kids don't have that idea. They're young. They're immature. They don't understand the perspective. By the time you get to be my age, you understand, I want to know when I'm wrong. You know? I want to know because I've grown up. I'm not a silly kid anymore. I want to know. That's a mature Christian wants to know. Would you be willing to do what the master has recommended? It's one thing to go to the doctor. It's another thing to do what the doctor says. <laughs> one thing to go it's another thing to do take the pill take the shot take the do the whatever you know it's another thing to do what the doctor says isn't it so let's decide we're gonna because after all it's 2020 and the lord jesus may come back maybe it's this year i don't know we want to be ready but here's what we also know in 2021 when we sit here for this service i may not be conducting it I may be as dead as a doornail, right? I don't know, 2021. You may be. I may conduct your funeral before next 21, right? You may conduct mine. I don't know. None of us have the promise because our lives are just a vapor passing away. A, a, a mature perspective of life recognizes that. Are we ready for it? So Lord, help us. Help us to put aside the, the immaturity of procrastination and delay and avoidance mechanisms. 
Help us to put away that immaturity and own it. Because yesterday we said tomorrow, and today we'll say tomorrow again, and we'll say tomorrow again. But Lord, help us to get at this business. Help us to. Help us not to put it off. Help us to own it maturely and to be the bride of Christ, pure and holy without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Convict us, Lord. We invite it. Convict us where we're wrong so that we can correct it. Take the pill. Do the steps. Help us to learn your word and live godly lives and love one another and lead others to you, exalting you all along. In Jesus' name.